Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This is Captain Jeff, and welcome to The Real Guy Podcast, brought to you by Waypoint TV, the boatyard in Fort Lauderdale, and Kettle and Fire, Bone Broth, Kato Soups, and Classic Soups. Um, Kettle and Fire, get 15% off. Go to kettleandfire.com, order some bone broth, some classic soups, maybe Kato Soups, and get 15% off by simply giving them the promo code WAYPOINT. So get your kettle on fire. It's good for you. It's good for your gut, good for your immunity system, good for your skin. And if you're into health food and wanting a healthier lifestyle, order something from Kettle and Fire. Give them the Waypoint promo code and receive 15% off. Today on our podcast, we are going to have Chris Walsh, who is the co-founder of Spool Tech Lures. I needed somebody to talk to us a little bit about what it takes in order to make fishing products here in America as opposed to overseas and especially China. It's been a hot topic and I needed an expert, somebody that knew, that knew way more than me, so I contacted Chris Walsh, CEO of Integrity Implants, which is a surgical device company that provides um, surgical devices for spinal surgeons. And he really um, you know, understands business and I thought he would be great for the podcast. So sit back, listen to Chris, and see if we can learn something about China. Clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. Chris, thank you for being on the uh, Real Guy Podcast. It's uh, good to have you. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, Chris, um, I wanted to talk to you, you know, specifically like... Um, I know you're the, the co-founder of Spool Tech Lures. Um, now, what, what gave you the drive to actually make a lure? Like, I know you're some, you know, we're into snook fishing, but kind of kind of walk us through that. Well, you know, I had been trying to get a big snook, a record snook, and I was asking around on who's the record snook guys, you know, and I was bone fishing with a guy, Captain Mark Croca. You, you know Croca from Fort Lauderdale years ago, you know, and... Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm down with Croca, and I'm like, who's the snook, you know, who's snook Jesus, you know? And he's like, Dave Justice, you know, it wasn't even a, a, a hesitation. And so I, you know, he gave me Dave's number and I called him up and I told him, I said, look, I just, I really want, I had caught a big fish on the West Coast uh, with Dave Palmerlo. And uh -huh. Dave said, you know, it was 47 inches. And Dave's like, that fish, if it had, she had dumped a row. He said, if that fish had rode, you know, she would have been approaching 40 pounds. It was about 35 pounds. And it just, you know, put the zap on me. Um, and I just wanted to go after big, big snook and, I, you know, soak a mullet, whatever. I, I didn't care. And so Dave was like, I'm down. So we just started banging around. You know, he's got that kind of that, you know, band of lost boys, you know, that follow him anywhere. And uh, I kind of jumped in there and, you know, fishing with Bogovic and, and all those guys. And so I'm just kind of tagging along and right. watching and we're fishing the all A1A bridge two 30 in the morning. And he had shown up with this rig and he had been down with Ralph Delft got, you know, God rest his soul. 
um, right. when he was down with Ralph. And he's like, Ralph was telling me about this thing called a tuna trap or a mouse trap that the bluefin guys used to roll up, uh, you know, guys like Cookie Murray and stuff from, uh, you know, big, big bluefin guy, captains would roll up leader and hide it in, I don't know what they fish for, big bluefin bunker, whatever it is, you know. And when right. the tuna, tuna got leader shy, the giant eyeballs, um, they would hide the leader in, in the fish and just, you know, bridle it back to suture it up. And so all you saw coming out of the, the bait was this casting line and it worked. And Ralph Delph was just cleaning up, you know, uh, I mean, amongst many techniques, but that was one of the techniques that he employed. And so Dave thought, you know, let me get it. He got a 7-Eleven straw, the Slurpee straw with the little right. spoon scooper on the bottom. Yeah. And he sort of cored out. It was a bass, uh, it was the, uh, the, the bass pro shops, Shadlicious swim bait. They were big swim baits. And he, you know, got a hook with like a, a double eyelet so he could t- attach the leader, but inside he could attach a, a leader to it. And he rolled it up and stuck it in the, uh, the 7-Eleven. It was cut down. So it was about, you know, three inches of 7-Eleven Slurpee straw stuffed into this thing. Um, and he just jammed the hook all in there and he used that to keep it in. And so it would pop out, you know, and, uh, and he would just, he had like, you know, 20 <laughs> straws ready to go. And, uh, and he caught one and he was like, that thing couldn't shake the, the lure. And, uh, I went back in the truck and I had gotten an email from one of our engineers for a medical device. I was a spinal implant guy, you know, and, uh, I had a bunch of patents around using, uh, magnets to get a rod into your spine without turning on the x-ray machine in the room. It's the fluoroscopy and, and that there's a lot of radiation. Doctors don't want it. And I got this drawing back for a spool that we rolled up this cable and we pulled the rod in with a cable right as Dave was doing this. And I, and I had the, you know, I said, you get a hard head, you have a modular tail, you put a winder wheel. I said, like, let's do it like a Blackberry phone or something like the old Blackberries and just put it on. So, you know, it was truly one of those, you know, I don't know, I don't want to compare us to the Beatles, but, you know, Lennon McCartney, Jagger Richards, whatever you want to say, it was truly, you know, uh, a co-inventorship, right? I mean, he really, he hummed the first line and I, I, I had the chorus and the bridge and the other verses. And I think that, um, you know, it, it made sense in the way we went, you know, and so that huh. was the idea. And it was two things. It was, you know, we would fish, you know, there was an incoming tide spot or an outgoing tide spot and, 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 you know, I was thinking about lighter, lighter leader the whole time. And I kept thinking, you know, if we could drop leader with this thing and Dave's whole thing was head shake. He was losing big fish to head shake. And really that's what spool tech does. Those are the two big value propositions of the lure. And all of a sudden we started going to spots like Cato's that, you know, were sort of tide specific and we're on the wrong tide. And, you know, all these guys are up there on the wrong tide, not getting bit. And all of a sudden we're getting bit because, you know, David dropped down to like 40 where we'd be fishing 80, hundred, whatever on the fenders, you know? Right. And, and then we went down to Jensen, uh, causeway when the bunker run, he dropped down to like 40 and, you know, he caught nine to one of those guys, you know, and we only had like a couple prototypes. So I, I was like, I'm not, you know, Dave is probably the, amongst other things, he's probably the best in the world at bumping something along the bottom, you know? And, um, and so I said, you fish it, <laughs> you know? And so, but you know, he's, you know, it's like the Michael Jordan is snook and he's out there just slaying him. But it, he's like, I would, you know, and I started and I'm thinking, am I going to put money in this thing or not? And, uh, and it just, the results were, I mean, they were pornographic, right? I mean, it was just so much better than what we were getting with, you know, Jay, just the head shake. We, we'd have a 40 inch fish and we were never even stressed about it shaking off, you know? Um, right. and so away we went. You know, so, 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 so it was going through your mind when you're, when you're developing this and you're seeing the results, you're starting like thinking in the back of your mind, like, um, business plan. I mean, I'm thinking shit, this is going to be a shitload of money. Cause I, you know, I had been in this game before and, and I think, you know, when people don't know about patents, they don't know about develop, you get a patent, they think you got money. I mean, a patent means nothing. The government will give you a patent they'll, they'll let you you know it's it's income revenue to them um and they'll let you hash it out in court um so 
you know, it's really the money behind development and molds and all that. So I was, you know, nervous and the results were so good that I had, you just had to do it. Right. And, uh, so I went in apprehensively in the sense that I know what it takes to get a company going. And, and it was, you know, it was, this wasn't your normal lure, right. It had a mechanism. Right. right. And, and so, uh, but like I said, it just rarely do you see a first prototype come out that performs. And, you know, my idea is a fundamentally what you see in the lure, but, you know, to take nothing away from Dave, the, the lure though, that Dave built, right. Dave had to build the, the body of the lure and the shape and the action. And I think Spooltex, if they never even deployed, there's something very fishy about that hard head tail combo. Um, Dave's son, Dylan noticed it, you know, they, they other baits you use the, the big schools of fish move out of the way and they sort of accepted school tech. It was, it was a strange huh. thing. So it was all the combination of that. Um, you had to do it. So I was nervous, but you know, I mean, away we went, you know, what's well, It sounds like, I mean, it sounds like, you know, that's the way a lure should be in the making. Okay. So you got the snook guru, the expert, then you got the guy in your position that's more the technical business mind. And then both being from South Florida and both loving the snook fishery, to me, that sounds like the dream team and exactly the way a lure should be manufactured and presented. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, it, it, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a daunting industry to get into. And I didn't understand it as well as I do now. And I still don't think I really fully get it. Um, so right. the business model of, of retail sporting goods in general, say retail fishing goods, um, it's, you know, there's a lot of hands in the, in the pot, right? You've got your distribution group, you've got rep groups, you've got wagon jobbers uh, that, you know, hit stores day to day. They all, you know, and, and then you have your manufacturer, then you have your retail, your end consumer retailer, right? So you wow. can have up to four groups looking to profit. So the margins aren't fantastic. Um, if you go through the traditional route, you know, that's the big rocks and there's a, they're good guys, but you know, we found that, um, the orders that they, you know, this is, this is in retail in general, Re people aren't holding on to inventory and, and the lure of big rock and those other groups is that they, they stock. Now they, um, they did a great job for us at West Marine, but, um, you know, so I think that, you know, it, it sounds like the dream team, but it, it's a market that, um, you know, Dave was a lure designer, like an expert right. technical guy. And, you know, you know, he, when he was at Trilene, he was tying knots. He's probably the best knot tire ever. And, um, and he was doing really technical stuff. I don't know that he had the full exposure to the other side of that business aspect. Right. And I think the right. missing component was a fishing industry veteran that had been on that, that corporate side uh, initially. These are just the start. I mean, we, we were successful, right? But I mean, in terms of the things we didn't know, right? Because um, that, like you said, I was like dream team. I know business. I know patents. Here's my part of my patent. Here's Dave's part of the patent. He knows every every bridge fender from you know, on both coasts, you know, from the snook line down, literally, you know, and I right. couldn't get a better guy. So, um, but the missing thing, I think to, to have maybe hit it better was someone that, that understood the margins understood. And, you know, we looked at bubble blade later and, and bubble blade did it differently and they really did it the way I would have done it in hindsight. And it's just, it's a distribution model where they cut those, those other groups out, uh, and went direct and, and, you know, it, it's not that one's better than the other, but when you're that early and embryonic, they had more cash back to them from the sale of their product than we did in our model to, to build the company. Right. I think, you know, I think if I was to tell anyone out there, it's like, you know, build a product, don't try to get rich, make a great product, own your local market, and then decide if it scales through the rest of the country. Cause you know, every little part of, there's probably 17 different fisheries in Florida, fresh or mm -hmm. salt around the mm -hmm. state. And they're all very nuanced to what they buy. And so you may have a great snook lure. Do you have a great lure? Now, we've caught 77 species on school tech. We know that we scaled out. And I know Patrick's got a, uh, an offshore, uh, like, a, you know, he's got designs for all sorts of stuff. Because, you know, pelagics with head shake and, and, I mean, all of it, you could get into it. 
but a lot of these lure companies are kind of location specific, right? So they might work in Southern California for those guys or that, and you, and you don't scale. So I think if you get into it with the attitude, like I want to make a great lure for the sake of making a great lure and you may, you know, but if you're there to, you know, the big get rich schemes and fishing lures, it, it doesn't exist. Right? It's not I mean, there, huh? No, it's big companies that buy them up, right? Look, Patrick got bought up, right, uh, right. by by uh, Pure Fishing, and and Pure Fishing. Now, Patrick, is a- Patrick is Sabil. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sabil. Just so you know, the audience can follow along. Um, yeah, my bad. No, all good, all good. So, so Patrick, okay, he went on and did what now? So he he acquired Spooltech. So okay. Patrick bought Spooltech. Um, but when Patrick started Sabia Lures, he sold that to, to Pure Fishing, right? right? And Pure Fishing is, you know, a, a massive conglomerate brand that, that was owned by Jarden Brands, which owns like Coleman. Yeah, so there, it's all that's a monstrosity. Monstrosity. So what happens is, is the small lure companies come up, they run out of money, they get in a corner and they sell to the bigger companies and, and, and they accumulate brands that are strong, right? Right. right. And so... You have to be able to make that leap, you know, from a small local company is you're going to really have to do everything right and have a really fantastic product, have a great manufacturer that makes quality products. And, you know, we had spotty quality with early on with uh, with spool tech with the cables. And, you know, so there's there's all sorts of uh, things that aren't apparent to people, but. Well, always going to be bumps in the road. Now, if the audience doesn't know, um, I got it. God, that was what six years ago was the LonkerCon that you guys first participated in first in Fort year. Lauderdale. Yeah, what's that? The first year. Yeah, and um, where were you? Well, just for for the audience, you know, at LonkerCon we don't do a lot of um, product. We don't do any sponsorship. We don't do that thing. But I personally knew Dave Justice. And I knew Chris was from Jupiter, Florida, and was really into snook fishing. And, um, you know, they had heard about LonkerCon and wanted to participate. And I just thought it would be great to have, you know, real snook guys with a real snook lure at LonkerCon. And if I could help promote um, the lure at all, um, that would be the type of company and the type of people that I'd, I'd like to promote. Now, where were you in your... Um, where were you in your growth stage when you went to that first LonkerCon and, and you guys brought all those lures and had a great display there? Where were you in the process? What year was that? Let's see. That was probably 2016. Yeah. So we had just gotten some big national distribution agreements with Big Rock through, um, which opened up some of the big box stores. And we felt, you know, we gotten we had just gotten uh, Bass Pro Shops a couple, uh, in 2014, we got Bass Pro Shops. Um, and so, you know, we were starting to get our sea legs at that point, I think. Um, I gotcha. Yeah. Now, originally, originally when, um, I first heard about Spooltech, your original plan was to make it here in America? Yeah, we did. Okay. And how did, and how did, and how did that go? What's funny, you know, um, everything I've made in my career that, you know, has always been U.S. based, a medical device, it's a big dice roll. There's a lot of quality and regulatory uh, constraints around the industry as you'd, as you'd want there to be, right? You know, right. Uh, getting operated on. Uh, and so we, you know, we wouldn't think about not doing it in the U.S. for many you know, for really even ancillary stuff, but, you know, certainly ne- never with critical stuff. Um, and, and it's not just, it's, it's the language, it's the hours, it's shipping on container ships. It's, it's all of the above quality is, is one that you have to watch. Um, so, you know, and, you know, we're all, we're all patriots, you know, so we were like, let's do it in the USA. And and we went out gangbusters and when we got, you know, so what you're looking for is what is your cost of goods sold? What is your manufacturing cost? So you'll hear a finance guy call it COGS. What's your COGS? Cost right. of goods sold. And our cost of goods sold to manufacture one, and that was at scale with an order, was like 11, 12 bucks. Wow. Right? The molds, you know, the company that we did that could do the quality of injection molding we needed 
you know, they make medical device catheters and stuff. And it, it was a different group. I didn't know them, but no, you know, they didn't want to make a lure. They want to make something expensive. So it's their opportunity cost to make something else to get on their injection molding, you know, machine because they have a runtime, right? So they're going to, who, who, how much money do they make per hour on that machine? That's what we're looking at. So um, that was the lowest we could get the cost. Now at 11, 12 bucks with all those hands in the pot we were talking about earlier, you know, you'd have to sell that lure for 70 bucks, you know, to wow. have the margins, to have enough, to have sponsorship programs, to go on, to do all that stuff and still have a profit to reinvest her inventory. I mean, you, you need like a seven to one ratio of your cogs. And so, you know, 70 bucks, you know, my mom would have bought one, you know, maybe, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, we, we ended up making it at 11, 12 bucks, knowing that we were going to be operating at a loss initially and selling it for like, we sold it for 39, I think it was 39 99, if I'm not mistaken. And we sold like 17 of them. Right. Wow. You know, wow. And, and just, it, you know, and you think about a kid, like say, like, I love the guys down at Juno Pier, you know, those kids are great. And, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like got that surf spot feel, you know, where, you know, you, 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 there's a pecking order on there and, um, and those guys are really, you know, you know, tough and on, on product, right. I mean, they're, they're fit, they're fishing, you know, for big fish and are around structure. And, you know, some of these kids are working different jobs, you know, they're mates or they're, they're working in restaurants or whatever, and they, they might be making 16, 17 dollars an hour, you know, if spool tech costs 19, you know, so we were always like, we got to make a quality lure. You know, we think about those guys and and I've been one of those guys and, um, you know, 39 99 wasn't going to cut it. And a kid, you know, buys a $20 lure and gets hung up on the bottom and loses it. You know, I mean, it's do the math. You're not going to sell that many. So we had to get under that, you know, in around that $20 magical price point. And the only path, the only path is to go to China. I mean, otherwise you're out of, you can't, you're not in business. So it wasn't like a choice, right? It's either you're going to sell a lure for a price point that people are going to buy it or you're going to go to China, you know, I mean, or, or, or you're not, you know, so, um, that, that was the evolution and right, wrong or indifferent. But, you know, if we were going to go be in business and try to, you know, know, make a run at it, there was no choice. So you end up just, just, just pure cost wise, you just had to end up manufacturing this kind of thing in china now explain to the audience um exactly how you did your research in china and um what what you were able to learn and um because the big the big topic right now you know and i'm kind of pushing the topic a little bit more than most because i don't have any sponsors but because of you know recent events, and I'm not going to bring that up because I'm tired of hearing it. But because of recent events, you know, people now are starting to pay attention of where stuff is manufactured, and you know, there's a there's a anti-China feel out there, and in the fishing world, you know, everything is marketed as all American fishing outdoorsmen. And when you go into a place like Bass Pro Shop or any tackle store for that matter, I would say 95% of everything that you can buy basically comes from China. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a huge vulnerability for this nation. Um, but on the flip side, uh-huh. so you go there. We, we, so we, we fly in, you know, we fly into Hong Kong. Fly into where? And we get... We flew in, so we, I'll, I'll you know, I'll, t- I'll tell you when you get there, I mean, I'll tell you our experience there, you know, um, and well, first, I, first I agree like, that, I, yeah, I, I, I missed this. So you're, you, fl- you fly into Hong Kong, correct? Fly into Hong Kong, you get in a okay, cab t- and you go into China. Okay. And, um, we went in, you know, it's Shenzhen and Guangzhou in the South. And that's, those are the big manufacturing hubs for this type of stuff. So okay. they're just on the other side of the border of Hong Kong, really. And these are, it, it's, 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 it's not unquantifiable, but it feels that way when you're there. If you're, you know, when you're in Texas, the scale of everything, right, is bigger. The real estate lines that they draw are just bigger. I mean, China's that to the nth degree. And, and it's just, you know, you can't believe how many human beings are there. And, uh, but what, there's a price for them having those manufacturing jobs. The, the, 
it's super dirty. Uh, these are dirty factories, right? Um, and by nature, even if they were here, uh, uh-huh. and um, and what ends up happening is is that you've got you know all of this land that they just plow over to build these factories. So, you know, if we go back to our Rust Belt in the United States and these stuff, a lot of these factories weren't necessarily environmentally friendly stuff. And you know, I don't know that we want you know because if it's going to come back here with the labor, it comes down to the labor cost, right? So our right. minimum wage, what we're doing. Um, when you factor in labor, so it, you know, if you're making something that doesn't require labor, like robotically, there is no difference in where you make it in China or not. It's the, the runtime in that robotic machine is the same. So what ha- you save money when there's, when there's human labor and the way it works there is they create a factory and next to it, there's a dormitory where the factory workers live. Now, all of the conditions there is, are, it's pretty austere. I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, you, you know, you shit in a hole. I mean, it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's, it's crude. And, but that, so it's not different. So those people are thrilled that they're there. They have, you know, they, they're, but they're with their whole family. So there's children, uh, you know, everybody's running around inside this sort of a compound. And then there's the factory. It's like seven or eight stories. Each story has sort of a thing. And, and they all specialize in this. The one we went to used to make uh, lures for uh, Rapala and uh, had shifted to different things. They, they made, you know, they, they could do, uh, ABS plastic. They had injection molding. They had uh, they had they had all the capabilities we needed. Um, but you saw, you know, those people get basically. I don't know exactly their arrangement, but they're basically getting food and lodging to work at very low numbers. And you know, those guys can give you a price point. It, I wouldn't call it like um, bad working conditions in the sense that it's no different than anywhere else outside of where they are. It would be bad for here. Right. Um, so they're perfect. They seem happy. Um, but yeah, that was my next, you know, that was my next question. I wanted to kind of get the feel for the actual guys that are putting the stuff together. They, they, they did, they, they, you felt like they felt good being working in those conditions and those type of factories. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're employed, right? And 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 I think that, uh, you know, yeah, there, there's not a sentiment that they're unhappy. And there, there's a lot of good people that we work with. The problem is culturally, the way they think, um, they do very myopic, you know, Pennywise pound foolish moves. So we had a cable cracking issue and we didn't, we couldn't understand it. And we, we would test them and, you know, and we honored every broken cable. We would replace it. And we knew after a while on Facebook, these kids figured it out. Oh, just, you know, post a pic of a broken cable and you've got to, you know, flush out a spool tech with fresh water and you should always store it deployed, not rolled up. And if you're smart, you'll put a little real oil or, or WD-40 on it. And they go, I've got a spool tech I've fished for six years. Um, but, you know, we knew we were getting game, but we said, look, we have a cable problem. We got to honor this. And what they did was there's a crimp that crimps the cable and there's a seven strand wire and they, they, you know, it's source material. So they had, they had this source that, oh, we can get these crimps cheaper or this cable ch- cheaper. But the diameter was off by like, you know, not even a millimeter, but enough that they had to put a shim in, like a little piece of secondary wire to increase the diameter. And that created a stress riser. And once you have that stress riser, it just goes through all this, the cable and it breaks. But we didn't know this until we you know, started popping open the shims and figuring it out. And it's that little simple move that you can't even quality test for that they do to save a few pennies, but you know, they're working on such small margins and that's the frustrating thing is you want a quality thing and then they, you, you get an independent quality group and then the factory will pay that, those fact, those quality inspectors off. So you get the shipment, you're not going to ship it back. So let's just say you get 10,000 lures with bad cables. They'll just tell you, Oh, we'll just give you free product. It's not like they're going to give you your money back. So you're on, then all of a sudden you're on this, this train, <laughs> that you can't get off because you're, you, you've got credit from there. Um, the only way to do it is the way Patrick did it, which is, you know, he lived in China and he really? lived in the China. Patrick flew, uh, moved, excuse me, not flew. He flew initially, but then he moved 
and lived in the factory in the dorms with everybody else and slept there for nine months until he had the quality. And, you know, we would go in and, you know, the other mistake we made was we'd make like 30,000 lures or whatever at a time. And then we would make another for like six months. Well, those people move out of the factory. And so you've always should be making a little batch so that they remember how to make it because they have to relearn it if you, if you have two things. So it's little things like that. But if you do what Patrick did and you stay on them every day and you just drive that quality, you can get a quality product out of China. Well, you bet anyone from Apple. I mean, Apple has people living there running those factories, but they're really there to use the, 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 to get the cheap labor. Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the draw and that's the game plan, but it's, it's, I don't know that you want to pull all those jobs back here because, you know, it's one, you're going to have not like Dave Chappelle said, you're going to have $900 Nikes. Um, so there's a balance there. Right. But, you know, mission critical things like pharmaceuticals that are going to keep us alive during a pandemic should not be outsourced. There should, you know, from a national security standpoint, I think we have to readdress that. But you have to ask yourself, do we want all those factories, you know, all across the land with just smokestacks and all the, you know, it's just, they're just nasty stuff, a lot of them. And it's, so, yeah, it's, it, it's pretty gross from what I understand. I'd like to see it with my own two eyes like you did. But um, that kind of brings me to the next, to the next thing is I'm starting to feel like these American companies um, like Yeti. <laughs> You know, they, this, this, all the money that they're spending on their image to be, you know, the friend of the outdoorsman and the, uh, you know, making the outdoorsman think that it's, you know, it's, it's, it's for them. In the meantime, they're making it in a factory in China that's making, I don't know, how many different lures were, was the factory making that you were using? Um, they made about four companies. So four companies came out of that, that yeah. one, that one plant bag, Bagby. Is that what it is? Bagley, Bagley, Bagley. Yeah. Bagley. Yeah. Bagley. Uh, Yarmo Rapala left the Rapala f- business. And I think he bought Bagley, one of the descendants of Rapala. If, I think that's right. And, uh, he was there. Um, then there was a, 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 a European company. And then there was a, a Japanese company that made these weird, like sh- hard shrimp baits um, that were the strangest looking bait I've ever seen in the way they were set up. So <laughs> it was, it, it, it was, it was, you know, just sort of, it was the right size. I mean, you don't want to be, you don't want to be on the hind tit of the bitch, so to speak, you know, where you're not the most important group. So if right. we, we, there were bigger factories we didn't go to because we felt like we'd be marginalized there. So we were going to be a, kind of an important order for this factory. Um, you know, there's a lot to it if you're going to do it, uh, what, you know, Mexico and Dominican are coming up of late. Right. So right. Right. Making stuff, you know, I think, uh, what's the, uh, Mustad, you know, they, you know how Mustad now, if you go to Walmart, like they have the whole wall of Mustad pliers, Mustad, you know, fish weighing scales, the whole yeah, Sharia, right. Yeah. I have to some of that. Yeah. So they make all that. I think a lot of that's made in the Dominican, uh, which is a heck of a lot closer. Uh, it's easier to communicate. Um, so you see Vietnam, a lot of people have gone to Vietnam for apparel, uh, Korea. Um, so it's not just a China phenomenon to make it outside the U S right. The question is, but you've got to have to balance to make something in the U S you have to balance the income expectations of those factory workers in the U S which is a, a much higher number. And what that those man hours turn into your final cost of goods sold. And if it's right. something you can pull off here, now I would be willing to pay something more for a, a U.S. made product, you know, but there's an inflection point where it's not worth it. Right now, Yeti right. is crazy because if you think I think if I'm not mistaken, Angle coolers and Yeti were made either in very close proximity to the same factories or the same kind of people or the same factory for a very similar process. Right. And Angle is I think like half of what Yeti charges. The thing that Yeti had, which God bless, I mean, look, if you can do it, they have a marketing machine that is second to none in in fishing, right? It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Look, and there's two types of fishing lures and fishing products and rods that are sold, I think, for guys that really do, like, you know, like you'd say real guys. 
And then there's the guy that's me a lot of times. I'm maybe I'm in between that I'm in an airport, you know, stuck in there and I just want to imagine I'm fishing and I go buy a sport fishing magazine or I go buy a Yeti cooler. And even though I'm not doing it, I feel like I am. It's the lifestyle image, you know, and you see these guys around town with Yeti stickers and all this stuff. Um, So they sold that image very well. Uh, And it's a good product. I mean, there's no doubt, but it's not the only, it's it's not the only game in town. So the fact they're making, they've got to be making profits hand over fist because they're making it over there and they're charging, they're charging, like, for example, if Yeti was made in the U.S., then it would make sense for them to charge that much more. So right. that, it's astounding that they can get away with it. So, like, I would buy Yeti, and I own Yeti. I mean, I'm guilty of it at all. I mean, I, I, I bought into I'm getting my car washed. This guy's got Yeti cooler. The next thing I know, I'm walking out with a soft bag. You know, I mean, they, they've yeah. got a, a thing there, and i got to give them credit. But No, they, uh, they've, they've done a phenomenal, phenomenal job in marketing and creating the image. And that's kind of my point. And this is this is this is where the disconnect's going to come between the fishermen and the outdoorsmen, and the products that they're buying into. It's like okay, the amount of money that Yeti's getting for their product, and they're taking that money one, you know, to make it look good on their books for their shareholders, and then two, they're spending so much money manipulating the mind of the outdoorsman that it's, you know. The quality product, the American way of living is you want to have a Yeti and you want to, you know, have a pickup truck and then you want to have beers and hang out at the creek that you're going to fly fish in in a few minutes. And they they spend so much energy on the image and the fluff. It kind of makes me think like maybe they should spend a little bit less on the image and be more of the image, like maybe make them here. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, but it's, they're, they're just mi- mirroring what the market is. And so until no, I the understand. market changes, yeah, I mean, the market, you know, if, if people, if, if there was consumer consciousness of what you're buying, am I buying local? Am I buying U.S.? And am I buying a, from a company that's basically, you know, maybe, maybe taking a little bit more than they should? Um, right. That's, that's consumerism, right? That should balance out in the market. It's just, now, you know, Americans love the dream that now, do you provides. Do you, do you, do you think that the consumer is now starting to actually think about it enough to change their buying habits at this point? I because I'm so. hearing a lot of I'm hearing a lot of horseshit. Well, look at I this. Think, let's compare ahead. it to let's compare China to the GMOs, right? So a genetically modified organism or food, right? That you know there was a lot of focus by. Uh, different groups, a lot of surfers, uh, like Kelly Slater was very vocal. A lot of people got around it and in, in in about seven, eight years ago. And all of a sudden now, you know, everybody's buying, you know, organic, uh, everybody's buying, you know, paleo, or they're, we're, we're realizing that some of this food in a box isn't good for us anymore. And I think you've seen a huge shift in towards, we call it healthy food, but away from you know, this, this GMO thing and, 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 and it was consciousness and social media was a big part of that. So let's just say in this case, you know, China is, is the bad guy where we're talking about GMO. Um, It's going to take, you know, it's groups like you guys. And I think if, if every, you know, you know, it's, I always joke around, you know, fishing guides are the worst guys for tackle (laughs) captains, right? Because by definition, if you run a charter business, how much, you know, you keep, you know, what you bring in less what you spend to run your operation. Right. So you typically don't see captains splurging on, on tackle, right. That's not your market. Exactly. Um, But captains set the tone for how people think, right. Sure. Um, If you think about buying habits and boats and how, what people are doing, you know, every guy down in the Keys, every Wyoming fly guide is looking at what Jared Raskov is doing, right? Sure. Um, and every guy that's flying down to buy a flats boat is looking at what Jared Raskov is doing. And um, so the the captains are in a unique, a, a unique spot, especially the socially uh, social media uh, savvy guys, to drive that culture of saying, you know, buy local, buy American, um, you know, support companies that support 
you know, the, the fishing industry. Now I'm sure Yeti is spending all the money where they should and doing all that stuff. Um, and it doesn't take, you don't, you know, it doesn't, it's not Yeti's responsibility to change their price. It's, it's the consumer to say, you know, Angle doesn't have a Cools logo and they don't have all these fancy commercials, but it's, you know, um, but you know, it, it doesn't hurt anybody except the consumer to spend $400 for a cooler that could cost $150. Um, it's not, if, like I said, Yeti is doing exactly what Yeti share owners are glad Yeti's doing, which is right. If you're a shareholder, if you're You're a shareholder, yeah, yeah. If you're a shareholder, then that's, you know, that person there, you know, that's, that's who they're, that's who they're really pleasing. And the fishermen out there that's supposedly into this, you know, anti-China, um, manufacturing thing. I don't know. Like I'm, I think, I just don't think that the uh, the guys that are getting these big sponsors are in a position, and I don't blame them. I mean, they're getting paid, and it's part of their, you know, it's how they're getting their TV shows done. But it's really tough for me to watch them totally exploit the American outdoorsman through marketing and through image, and then the American outdoorsman saying that they want to do pro-America stuff. In the meantime, they're sporting the piss out of their Yeti sticker right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And do you, th- do you think that, well, I, I'll, I'll, I don't know. I mean, my opinion, I don't think anybody that's sponsored by these people, either one, they don't know, don't think about it or don't want to think about it because they're the ones getting the dough. Yeah. I, I- I, I think we're looking we're I think what we're doing here is we're ice fishing the subject, meaning we're looking through a very small portal at a much bigger thing, right? Right. And you know, globalism and um in general, you know, is 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 a thing and you know that, that has to be debated. And um, you know, do you want to you know, you look at Brexit, what's happening there and you know, for people in England now to do business with Europe, I mean, you have, it's all this visas, it's, it's turned into a nightmare and commerce and, you know, and, and, and I'm on the fence about it. I, I'm as dyed in the wool uh, American as I can possibly be. And yet what I saw in China, I don't want to bring that back here. What we want here is high paying STEM jobs, right? You know, right. Uh, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, jobs that are, that, you know, we don't want shitty injection molding factories, you know, polluting our, our, when you go there, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, the only way I can describe it is when, you know, like say you're drawing a horizon line that converges into infinity, right? You know, right. when you look out at the, at the, at the cityscape of, of, of Guangzhou or Shenzhen, you see factories after factories after factories until they literally just fade out into the horizon, right? I mean, it's, and they're building the world's, you know, plastic products and every, you know, plastic chair, plastic, this, all the stuff that's polluting the oceans, all just being pumped out of there. If you bring all that stuff here, then, you know, this country is going to look like that with that smog and, and, and all that stuff. So, you know, it's, it's, they're kind of doing our dirty bidding for us and they're happy to, because they built themselves into the number two economy in the world. Um, but I don't know if it's as linear to say, you know, hey, China has got this, you know, they don't really, they're not concerned about the world. We're, we're going to pull all the products back here. I think that, I think fundamentally, you know, you know, stop eating things you shouldn't eat, <laughs> you know, right. number one, right. and, and stop killing pets. Uh, you know, just do, just treat your animals right. Stop. They, when you go there, we ate McDonald's almost every time we were on the road because you don't trust the food there. Right. right and, right. and so it's, I think that, you know, just say, okay, we're going to pull all this back and make these things here. And, you know, all of a sudden you're going to have a, a cooler that costs more than a Yeti right now. And, you know, and are we going to make a, are you going to buy a $600 cooler instead of a $400 cooler? Um, I just think it's a matter of doing the most you can uh, as a consumer but I don't know if it's fair to, it's certainly not fair to penalize, like say companies that make something in China, because like, for example, spool tech, we wouldn't be in business if we had to, if we had to make it here. You know, well, it's as simple as that. Yeah. And I, and I get, I, I, I get that. The, the, and 
And the other thing is I'm not like totally against globalism. I am in certain ways. And China, you know, is not exactly, I don't know. I always came up, I was, I was always taught that, you know, quality is better than quantity and it's worth paying extra money as long as you're getting, you know, um, as long as you're getting the best quality and the best customer service and the best support. And I think that like, a, like, like for instance, there's a big difference between my view on stuff that's made in China compared to stuff that's made in Japan. Like I got the utmost respect for the Japanese market. And the reason I do is because they kicked the shit out of us in automobiles through quality. And because yeah. of quality, they were able to take market share. Um, I don't think, you know, for the most part, Japan doesn't want to do business with China because ethically and morally, they are not on the same page. Well, and yeah, you know what I mean? And yeah. well, the, uh, Japan, the economy show that Japan didn't start off that way. Right. Right. I mean, years ago, it was a cheap Japanese knockoff is what would people would say. And, and the first cars that came out were cheap and all that. And they evolved. Now, China, uh, Japan doesn't have the resources I mean, it's a, it's a rock. It's just an right. island. I mean, they, they're, they're so resource constrained. It's amazing what they do with what they have. Um, so China's got this vast, you know, resource, uh, you know, that, that they can pull from. But the, the difference, you know, Koreans, Chinese, uh, Japanese, we've dealt with all of them. And, it's, and people say you're going to go to China, you're going to get ripped off. I don't think that's true. They really aren't looking to go and grab it. It's usually when you see someone making something that's in violation of your patent. A lot of times it's someone from the U.S. or Europe or something that brings it to China to be made. And then they say, oh, see, the Chinese are ripping you off. The Japanese are very, very principled in that they do what they say. And right. that's how they're, ra they're raised. In China, like so, for example, you and I are taught George Washington chopped down the cherry tree and he did what? He told on himself, right? You know, in there, a lot of their children's fables and stuff are like, you know, this guy, you know, he, he was able to uh, put one over on somebody. Look how clever he is, right? There's sort of this sort of like, it, it's, you know, fibbing, fudging the truth, all this stuff. It's a lot, it, it's it's part of the culture and it, and they do it to each other, right? It's sort of, when I went there, I did, you know, we ultimately one day ripped up a contract and they're like, you can't rip up a contract. And we're like, you did. We're just going to do what you did. And then we got on their level and then we never had an issue again. So it's a different mentality in Japan. You know, a yes is a maybe a maybe is a no. Um, They're, they are so, you know, but if they do something, they never waver from what they said ever. Yes. You know, and, and it's yeah, a loyalty career. is their Yeah. Loyalty yeah. is their big thing there. Big yeah. thing it's there. Impressive. Uh, you're, yeah. My, my dad actually built boats over there. Um, he built about eight or nine, um, aluminum boats at a commercial factory in Fukushima. And mm -hmm. um, I got to learn a little bit about the Japanese back then. And my father said that they were the most loyal people. And if they said anything, you could bank on it. And if they made a mistake, they were the first ones to tell you. And he just loved making salt shaker products in Japan with the Japanese. And he said, you knew exactly what you were dealing with. And yeah. um, I don't, you know, I don't know. It's definitely a culture thing, but I firmly believe that uh, China is um, just not. I mean, you say that, but just remember this, that the, the two communication devices we're using, almost odds are we're made in China right, right now. Your yeah. pods in my, in my, in my head. The, the the Mac computer 100% were made in China, and and I think that China is just not one thing. There's a huge spectrum, and like their bullet train that they made is the fastest, most efficient boat. They're they are working to have what Japan has. They're not settling just to make mediocrity, right? Um, and I think you know I think the you know the thing for me is that the American sportsmen. I, I think the real sportsmen. There's you know, 5% of the guys that do it and 95% of the guys that want to do it. Right. And so, right. you know, I think that, um, uh, you know, I think just, to, I, 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 you know, I don't, I don't know if it's as simple as saying we're going to, we're going to pull it all back. Like I said, no one's going to 
pay $70 for a school tech. And that's literally what it would be. So that's the choice is the hard economics. But what's gonna, here's what's going to happen. So there's a 10% excise tax, right, you pay um, in, in the U.S. for fishing goods, right? Okay. Uh, and that, that excise tax, you know, uh, I, the idea is, is it goes to support, um, you know, uh, the fisheries of, of, of the country, which is great. And I, and I don't know how well those funds are, are dispersed. Uh, well, let's just, at the- let's just assume that it's like most government where they're just stealing the money. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I just want to be as real as I can be. I don't see the federal government in here helping clean up the waterways and doing things for the sportsmen or anything like that, even though they're yeah. getting 10% on everything. Well, I mean, let's just, let's assume, let's actually assume that they're using it for what, what they say they're, they're using it for. Okay. Um, we're handicapping a lure manufacturer, um, you know, right off the bat, right? Um, right. With an excise tax. And it, so, um, but I, you know, I, I think that, I think like, I, like, I love what uh, Bogovic and those guys, no, no live bait needed. You know, the, I mean, uh, I like that. I like, you know, if you can start a business and, and, and know that there's enough consumers around and you can still make it here. Now they're hand pouring or, or I think they're hand pouring, uh, but I know they're making some of their own jigs. Um, and you can do that here and really you are your own labor or people, you know, and you get a good following. You can make a nice business, not having to be all things and still make it here. Um, and I, and I think that, um, you know, I think that's, but it's going to be limited to what you can do here. Like we could never do that because hand pouring, you know, plastisol is one thing, but injection molding and using sonic weld machines and all this stuff, you know, that, and again, you know, if you go to any one of those, a lot of these factories that do that in the United States. Um, now, I know that Banjo Minnow was made, I believe it was Alabama or Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And what I, at the end of my, uh, you know, before we sold it to Patrick, we were becoming aware of more injection molding companies in the United States uh, that were made, uh, you know, they had more automated uh, manufacturing processes, which, which took the people out of it. Right. And they were able to keep, you know, better prices. So I'll tell you this, here's the, if you're a fishing guy, this is what you're balancing. I don't have, now we didn't have all great quality from the U S either. And that should be noted. And it's, you know, I mean, it's not like it's going to be perfect here, right? Manufacturing right. struggle between your, your contract manufacturing and the company is real. I, I have it today. We have, we have one of the finest manufacturing groups you'll ever find in, in uh, Huntsville, Alabama, but we don't, it's not always right. Right. So I don't, you know, I don't know that we just guarantee that quality um, is, you know, is a, is a given if you don't have a great quality department in your company to be from the get go. Right. Right. Um, But I do think that if, if you didn't have to deal with these container ships in a six week, you know, because what happened to us is we, we couldn't wait for container ship, then we'd pay the air freight on top of it. Right. Just to get it here. And that was a pain in the ass. So if you could have a a, a surety of supply is the finance term. Right. You know, your products coming in in the U.S. where if you had to go drive it and get it, that would that's a bonus. Right. And if you could just kind of split the difference between what it cost here and what China. So let's just say we could have done that, you know, then it's a thirty dollar spool tech and not a seventy dollar spool tech. And that might be the thing. And that's going to be the consumer to say USA. I'm going to pay more. I'm willing to do it. And, you know, and, and the company will have to decide is, is a $10 price point that's U.S. made more attractive than a $20 price point OUS made. Right. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. And- that's 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 where the consumer, I think, is starting to balance. I think they're starting to balance. OK, what am I willing to spend what, what can I afford? What can, you know, what can I actually do? And then I think working backwards and like you said, it, it's, it's ultimately up to the consumer. And I, 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 maybe we're at a tipping point. Maybe it's just all a bunch of fake news and media that we're watching on TV because right now I'm not seeing, I seen a little bit on uh, social media, which is one of the reasons we did the podcast. And the only thing I did on social media is I just asked if I was to buy a new set of rod and reels 
is there any company that I can buy from that's 100% right. American made? And um, virtually, and basically, a lot. right? Remember virtually, it was hardly anything. It, you know? That means that you're making. That means that in, in theory, your source materials, right? Because a lot of these things, and then your then the then the component parts, and then the assembled parts are all U.S. derived. Um, a lot of companies will say they're U.S. made, but they make all their components there. They assemble in the U.S. That's the way. Right. That, that's that's that normal game. now. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, so that's, that's a fuzzy area. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's fuzzy. You know, yeah, we don't do that. We, tr we, we thought about making some met from medical device. We, we try to make some instruments there, but, uh, just some like sort of, uh, non-proprietary basic stuff. And, and, and it just, we even had a guy that spoke Chinese and it's still, it's just, it's, it's for us in medical device. It, I wouldn't dream of it. I would never do it, but, Good. um, Yeah. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> yeah good i don't know it's it's such a messy subject and it and it's fairly complicated and um you know there's a lot of a lot of talk a lot of hype you know about you know buying american and um if people are serious about that they're going to have to make some serious sacrifices as far as what they're willing to take out of their wallet you know um yeah Personally, I think it's a, mostly smoke and mirrors. I think in the long run, it's probably not going to happen. But, you know, the Walmarts and the Bass Pro Shops of the world are, you know, basically making money because they're able to do business from China and get U.S. dollars to pay for that. And there's a disconnect in there somewhere between the consumer and the manufacturer. But... um well, right it just it comes down to the economics of it, right? And and if 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 the if the company it, the 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 best thing that every sportsman can do is is have an awareness of what they're buying, right? Knowledge is power. Know mm -hmm. what you buy. Care, care you know, can just care about what you're what you're acquiring, and and if you and and the consumer can drive the market. So if you, if made in the U.S became such a compelling thing then companies would adjust but it's the, the consumer behavior is such that they don't they don't really care they want the best price they can get and so for, for the best quality they can get right and um and i think that you know that's going to come down to individuals and and the companies you know when you take raise money from someone to start a company you know that share owner expectation is you're going to do everything you can to maximize the revenue. And that, and, and if you've invested in the company, you want them to do that. Right. Right. So, those so, so, you know, the, the corporate stewardship is to do things right, but there's part of that corporate stewardship is to, is to be as profitable as you can. Now the Chinese, I met, a, there are a lot of great people there that we've met that, that I, that I still, you know, I hold in, in high regard. It's a different culture than what we're used to. Um, and I, and I think it's easy to want to villainize them, but I don't know that it's totally fair. I think, look, how they handled with the with the international flights is just total horseshit, right, with coming out of Wuhan. But if you, right. the scarier thing for me is not, you know, this virus. It's the other virus, the H whatever, 7, N9 or whatever, the one that's got a 40, that's 4-0% mortality rate. And I think what, and this is a total guess, but I think... It, you know, what happened in Wuhan is they're trying to figure out using the virus viral carriers or that that will defeat the really bad one. And somehow it got out. Right. I don't know that it makes no sense for China to release a bioweapon around the world because they're cutting their own throat. We are their Right. Know, we, our economy is their economy. So I don't know. You know, and look, I'm, I'll put my tinfoil hat on with anybody. I mean, you know, I'm, you know and, and a lot of these conspiracy theories, if you look back in time and history, They've already happened. So, you know, you know, but at the end of the day, I think in this situation, uh, what's really scary is, is, you know, the, the way that they're handling food in those markets and those wet markets, that needs to just be stopped. Right. I know it's centuries old of how they do it, but, uh, you know, honestly, it's not a, it's not a thing. And that, that, that's the thing that gets my goat because the whole world economy shut down because of some antiquated, you know, 
method of eating something that maybe maybe shouldn't be eaten, but certainly should not be handled in that fashion as loosely as it is. Because when you go to those markets, you wouldn't believe the sand. It's it's nothing. You know, there's a reason we ate at McDonald's. You know, I mean, and it's just the way they. It's 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 just their food is. It's they don't have a sure food supply. So, right, right, right. Well, man, what a what a complicated what a complicated thing. Like, I'm not one, you know, to promote boycotting a company, you know, because you know their products are made in China and that kind of thing. But I do think that the consumer and the guys here in the uh, fishing world that are sponsored by these companies that are sending American dollars to factories in Japan that can do things that we're not allowed to do here. And, you know, I think if the, uh, like you said, it's gotta be the will of the consumer and um, the sponsorship thing and pushing the product and pushing the image. um, And that's where the dollars are really spent, you know, for these companies like Yeti and, I don't know. In order for it to come back to America, people got to start paying attention to exactly what they're buying. And I'm not so positive they're going to do so. I just not so, I I don't, I don't get, I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's an education thing, if it's a will thing. Um, Like I buy Biscayne rods, right? mm -hmm. Mostly. And made down in Miami, you know, and, um, I mean, I try as best I can. I, I, there's not a real manufacturer that I know. I, I mean, I, I do when I can. It's just that I don't know of anything that's made here. Right. Right. Like if you accurate, went to the Bass Pro accurate, Shops. Accurate supposedly made all here in uh, in uh, California. But that's the only one that I have got any feedback from where, you know, it was pretty much, you know, all American. I was guilty of it selling, you know, selling my apparel online. People want to buy Lunker Dog hats, you know. And I looked at the uh, label on yeah. the hat that I bought, and dude, I'm guilty. The things came straight yeah. from China. You know, there's a distribution company in Ohio, but you know, the the hats come straight from China. Now I'm going to change that because I'm a small guy and I can do whatever the hell I want. You know, I'm not a big company with shareholders, and I'm going to change that. And I'm probably going to end up spending, you know, fifteen to twenty percent more on getting the American made hat. I'm willing to eat it, but like I said, I don't have shareholders to answer to. Yeah, yeah, it is a complicated issue, and I, like I said, I mean, there's not a lure company out there that, that I mean, other than small batch stuff um, that I'm really like in mass scale that I'm aware of. That's not, and it's not that it's all in China. Like I said, Dominican, Vietnam. Um, I heard, I heard Z-Man was uh, oh, yeah. American, America, but a Florida company, and they do everything here. Or no, is or is it in South Carolina? Charleston, South Charleston. Carolina. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the Zucker family there, there, that's a great company. Um, if you guys, uh, are, <laughs> you know, all right. So we can start with Z-Man and accurate. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, what they're doing is, you know, like I said, for us with a mechanism or a lure with the construction, which isn't just shooting out plastisol, there was no choice. Right. Like I said, I mean, we did the best we could was get to 11, 12 bucks. And, you know, if, if you took, You'd have to take the direct to consumer route, right? Meaning that you're you're selling it almost in an infomercial style with none of those distribution models together, right? Because so you cut the you, you cut the WalMarts, the Bass Pro Shops right out of the mix, and the guy yeah. sends it to you from his place of manufacturing to your doorstep. That's it. That's got to be you it know, for America for the way for like, the way the future for it to work out the way we want it like, to work out. We want to support yeah, American like companies. Yeah, like if it was on like a, a fishing lure company for Etsy, right? You know, it's small batch, American made, and uh, you, you're you're just buying it there. But you know, it, it, you're never going to see the size selection quantities that you want, right? No one's going to be able to handle the mass scale. I mean, there's it's 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 not the biggest industry, but it's not small, right? I mean, I'd say globally, right. the lure, the lure industry, global lure market's about a, a billion on the nose. I think if you add it all in, so it's, it's not inconsequential, but it, you know, frozen burritos are like 12 billion, seriously, frozen Latin American food, any kind of thing is as big as my market, which is the spinal implant fusion market. Right. So, you know, we get, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy to, you know, 
to, to locate yourself in the, in the, in the, in the scheme of things. So, um, but if, if, you know, like I said, you know, I, the, you, here's the thing that I'll tell you, we employed eight, nine people in the United States with school tech. We would never be able to employ those people. Had we made it in the U S you know why we wouldn't have existed. So right. I created eight U S jobs we're making in China. Okay. Right. And, and so there's something to be said for that. It's, it's not a manufacturing side, but that was the, the, the administration, sales, uh, marketing, all that stuff, you know, got great guys like Shaughnessy and, you know, right, uh, right. Nicole Chico. We had great people, Michelle, all the gals that worked in there, Stephanie, Nicole, we had a really good Jason Gallo. I mean, those, if we didn't have those people, we would have been out of company, but those people were gainfully employed for, you know, uh, a, a good period of time when school tech was out there and none of those jobs had existed. So, and, and, you know, we, and so that's, so, so there's an upside to that. We create jobs. If you can be in business to get that manufacturing cost that, that you want. Right. So that's, right. that's food for thought. No, it is. It is. It's such an interesting, you know, um, it's just such an interesting topic. And um, I don't know, you know, there was a time when, you know, like my grandfather never thought of walking into a place like Costco or Home Depot, you know, and, that wasn't that that long ago, and maybe the market can change. Maybe it can adapt. Maybe it can overcome. But let everybody know that listen to this podcast. You know, um, me, I'm the first one to point my finger and say what's right and what's wrong. But there's an old saying: business is business, and businesses are going to do business. And the consumer is the one that um, is going to dictate how and where people are going to do business. So yeah. I think if nothing else from this podcast, I think everybody out there, if you want to know what to do, well, first thing you got to do is you got to look in the mirror and you got to make different decisions and go about life a little bit differently. And it starts with the consumer. And I think I was guilty of pointing my finger at the manufacturer too. And it's yeah. not necessarily, you know, that clear no nope. chris i really appreciate your time um it's a topic i wanted to i wanted to get through um you know before uh people forget about this virus and let's hope that it goes away where we can all forget about it and um hopefully we opened up some eyes and um yeah, man. i think it was a great conversation and um i'm going to reach out to justice i wanted to do a, a podcast with him more on the fishing side. And I'm anxious to hear, get his, his input on the, on the situation. But anyway, yeah. thanks for being on the real guy podcast and, um, run that dog and good luck with that, uh, medical device company. I know you guys got a good long track record. Keep it going. Thanks brother. Thanks. I love what you're doing from day one and, uh, you know, the best content, uh, in, in this, in this market. So thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks Chris. Run that dog pal. Oh, that's awesome. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.